What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast, the official podcast of MetalNexus.net, where you can get all your show reviews, concert reviews, photos, and so much more. And with me, as always, is Daniel Terry. How are you doing this uh, evening? Doing great, man. Can't complain about too much, although there are a couple of things I would like to complain about. Is the beer you're holding one of them? Fireworks, late into the night. It's not cool. Nobody likes it. I don't think you're cooler because you're awake at 3 o'clock in the morning shooting off fireworks. My kids definitely don't think it's cool. Please, please, for the love of God. The 4th was like three days ago, man. (laughs) (laughs) Save that shit for New Year's. Or, you know, like Cinco de Mayo or something else that would require fireworks. Well, you know, we did uh, shoot off a lot of fireworks when the Blues won the Cup, so there's that. I probably would shot off a lot of fireworks if I... uh... Had some when, uh, if I was awake at 3 o'clock in the morning when uh, Kawhi Leonard signed with the LA Clippers and took Paul George with him and shook the whole fucking NBA up. Oh, shit, dude. I've been awake at 3 a.m. the past couple of nights, not just because of the fireworks, although that is what started it. No, what it was for me was I started watching these fucking terrifying YouTube videos about just, like, creepy shit on the internet. Like, things that are on the internet or something that you found that, like, define what you mean by creepy things on the internet. It's a it's a it's a YouTube web series that documents creepy shit that's on the internet. Okay. So it's like like there's one I read that was based on like a, okay, so apparently a lady was somebody posted this on Reddit a long time ago that a lady was arrested because they found her at a park swinging her 3-year-old son in a swing but the kid was dead. And apparently what happened is the mom came there like two two or three days earlier and with the kid and the kid was still alive and they started swinging. And then the mom had some kind of psychotic breakdown and had no idea how much time had passed. And she had been pushing the kid in the swing for like two, three days. And the kid like eventually died, like either of starvation or of whatever, like on the swing like that. How do you fucking sleep after that? Like, oh, my God. Like, I guess it's internet related in the sense that it was on a Reddit post that, that it was found out about. But, like, that is some seriously fucked up shit to be watching in the middle of the night. I suppose. But it's like a rabbit hole. Like, you watch one and uh, you watch one video like that and you're like, oh, there's got to be something on the internet that can top that. <laughs> right? So so, he, so here we are, man. I'm, I'm sleep deprived and, uh, and terrified at, at all moments. Well, you know what's not terrifying is this uh, is our guest first and foremost, which is uh, Brandon Saller of Atreyu of Heller High Water, and uh, maybe you're familiar with his other other project called American Gentleman. It's more of a sync project, so basically things that you will hear in commercials and soundtracks and so forth. Um, funnily enough, we uh, actually did this interview. When did we do it? About three or four months ago. I vaguely remember doing this interview, and we talked about all this shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, that was that was that was sad. But we ended up losing it. Uh, something happened to the file where, out of the forty-five minutes or fifty minutes that we talked with Brandon, both Dan and I on the same line talking to Brandon, uh, I for whatever reason the file ended up getting corrupted, and there was only like a minute and a half of it. Yeah, it was like the Jay Gordon orgy situation all over again. Yeah, so it really sucked. Uh, we tried getting him back on shortly thereafter. And, you know, understandably, you know, he wants to spend time with his family when he's not on tour, and that didn't happen. But uh, basically got to redo the interview when they were here in town uh, without Dan, but pretty much kept the interview more or less the same. Uh, we kind of went down interesting tangents in the beginning that we didn't uh, initially. Um, but outside of that, you know, just kind of talking about Atreus' career, which was kind of interesting thinking about it. Because, you know, Atreus has been a long time, like, favorite band of mine. And I guess it's one of the few bands I can think of where... Dan can probably relate to this where it's like, I've been a fan of the bands for so long. And, you know, now I'm able to call one of the guys in the band a friend, but it's still kind of weird at times when you listen to the music and you're like, Oh man, I remember listening to this record when it came out and blah, blah, blah. And you know, you still have that fandom about it, but there's also that thing. Like when you see those people, you're able to start separating that because it's like, okay, like this is also someone I now know and you're able to separate the person from the thing, but still is kind of a, a weird, this weird duality that you kind of face where you're like, I still really love this fucking band and the music means a lot to me. Um, and the only thing I can think of really is just the fact of like, you know, your relationship with, you know, Scott or any of the guys in Zayo is probably kind of that way as well at this point. 
Yeah, it definitely is that way. I was cutting the grass the other day, and I was listening to Zayo's Funeral of God album, and I I was like, God, you know, some of these songs, man, they're so old school now, you know, from when that record came out in 04. And I was like, man, this is so cool, and I love how he did this, and I love it, and like, I love that guitar tone, and yada, 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 and it's like, I'm still super fanning out, but then like, a couple days later, I'm texting Scott being like, hey, when you guys come to St. Louis in a couple of weeks, what kind of beer do you want me to bring in? You know what I mean? So it was like literally one of those like, yeah, it is kind of this weird separation where you're a huge fan, but at the same time, like you're now also just a fan of the person uh, themselves because you've gotten to know them. You've had good conversation and it's no longer just this weird disconnected like project that's you know, that you, that you have nothing to do with, you know? Uh, so that's, it's definitely a lot of fun to, uh, to have that, but can also be a little bit weird, you know, when you're like, yeah, dude, yeah, I know we're like friends or whatever, but like, I've been listening to your shit since I was like 13, <laughs> you know? No, this was, this is a good conversation. Um, kind of going back to the beer. Cause, uh, actually the day that we recorded this was, uh, Cinco de Mayo. Uh, so it's a rather well-known drinking, f- uh, quote-unquote holiday for for us Americans uh, who, you know, like to take something that means something to an indigenous people and uh, turn it into some weird celebration to get drunk uh, at. It's all you can, it's it's the least offensive thing we can do. Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, but speaking of drinking, I have uh, this year's KBS, Made by Founders. Price is right. It was uh, five bucks for a 12-ounce bottle. Typically, these things go for about, I think about ooh, eight or almost ten. Yeah, and to import them, like if you're not local to, so- to somewhere that sells it, it can get really up there, like third to somewhere in the realm of like thirty bucks. Yeah, I mean, if you get like those big, big bottle guys, uh, I think they even here were twenty four. Um, but I mean, you know, I've been saying for a while. I think as of two or eh, about two years ago, I think the bubble on KBS has kind of burst. Like, I think the distribution for it is so wide at this point that they have to make so much that it's not a thing where like you're not able to find it if you don't get it the day it comes out. Like that's what I remember about KBS. You could not find a place to get it. If you weren't at a tapping of it somewhere or didn't buy a ticket to go to a, a release party for it, you weren't getting it unless you had someone that would had an end to those things and could buy you a, a, a four pack of it. But even then a lot of the event places would only let you get one pack or two packs per person because the high, the retail value of it was so high because it was just so hard to get. Yeah. I think somebody, somebody told me a couple of years ago referring to the KBS. He's like, it, it, it almost was to the point where you felt like you were doing something illegal. Yeah. Like asking for like, you'd, you'd have to walk into a store and be like, Hey, you guys got the KBS. He's like, yeah. I might have the KPS. How much, how much money you got on you right now? You know, like it was one of those. Well, that's like we went to this local liquor store next to our house, and it's, it is exactly what it you know is. It's a little bodega liquor store, and I remember someone was talking. It was like KBS day, and someone was talking about it. And like, oh, we got a couple of cases in the, the ice cream cooler right next to you, and I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, like look down below, like underneath the Jaeger boxes and shit like that, and then the sure shit, there was a case of KBS, and I was like, I guess I'll buy it. How much? And he goes, oh, for you, uh cost which was kind of shocking nice um, so i ended up getting it i thought about drinking it and then i turned around and sold it on, on craigslist yeah i mean fucking right you did yeah <laughs> we got to pay our bills somehow man i think i made about 80 bucks off of that four pack there you go but i guess uh you know it's funny like kbs has like become this like worldwide phenomenon like i think it, now that founders has i know the people have been going over to europe and some other like uh territories overseas and so forth so i don't even know if kbs is like a worldwide phenomenon at this point but i know when bridget and i went to buffalo for the bills game coincidentally the people sitting right in front of us were one of the guys was from grand rapids and they were talking about like how they brought all this founders beer and then they were showing off their beer sellers cuz i guess they're like big beer you know, aficionados and so forth. Um, and he's like, yeah, I got the KBS this year. And I kind of want to be like, that's not really that special. Like anyone can get it. <laughs> wow. Dude. Did you get the McRib too? When it came back? Yeah. Did you get the Szechuan sauce? Were... Right. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think that but... might be more rare at this point than KBS is at this. <laughs> it might be. Yeah. But I mean, there, there was a, a place, another like kind of small liquor store that we went to a while ago and they had, uh, I think it was 15, 16 and 17, uh, KBS, just, you know, out, ready to buy. And I was like, 
Okay, so it looks like maybe 15 or 16 was when the bubble officially burst and like everyone's like, oh, I have plenty of those. Um, so it, it's kind of weird, though, because it's like it was weird to be in the epicenter of where this this beer phenomenon started. And, and for the longest time, like I never could get one. And then if I could, I definitely wasn't spending the money to get it because it's like, you mean for that one beer, I could probably try almost a sample of everything here and have a little bit of money left over. Like, fuck that. I ain't doing that. And then I finally had one. I think it's to the point now where, like, they have a couple of years worth of KBS on tap almost almost any time I've been to Founders lately in the last year or so. The CBS and KBS they have on, on draft uh, from a couple of different years. And so I finally have been able to try the last few years at a pretty fair price at a, you know, right straight from the source on tap. And I got to say, I don't really see anything all that special about it personally. Um, you know, I'm not one of those people that's been able to have, you know, I've been drinking it since, you know, 2010 and, you know, 2010 was the best year. I can't tell you any of that shit, but I do kind of think if it was just a regular beer that they had and it was like a seasonal beer, like, which I guess technically it is, but if it was a seasonal beer that was always widely distributed, you could always get it. I feel like it would just be like this, like Oberon, and I would be more pleasant. I probably would like it a little bit more because I could be like, well, you know, this year's Oberon was a little bit better than last year's, but like three years ago was pretty was the best so far. Um, but for all the hype around it, it definitely did not live up to the hype for me. I don't know if you've ever had a KBS before or a CBS no, for that matter. I haven't. No. Well, I have to go back to Meyer and, and get you one of these five dollar guys, and you can try it, and you'll probably be the same way I was. Where you're like, that's a beer. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, that could be. I've definitely had some shit hyped up to me before and waited years to try it, and then you try it, and you're like, okay, next. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll be like, holy shit, John, here's, I'll be in a PayPal and you like 400 bucks. Buy as many of them as you see. Dude, actually, you might be able to make a killing down there with them if they're not widely distributed down there. They're not. I, nobody really knows about it ah. down here. Well, there you go. You might be able to sell them for 15 bucks each and... Make, you know, three times the profit. But speaking of profit, let's get into uh, my conversation with Brandon Saller of Atreyu, and we will talk to you afterwards. pleasure once again <laughs> of talking to Brandon Saller of Atreyu, and I promise this time it won't fuck up. Hey, you can never make promises. You always just, you don't never know till it, you know, it airs, but we're going to, we're going to hope for the best, I think. So unfortunately I am going to ask you the same thing because I thought the, the interview itself was actually really interesting and the fact that I haven't really heard anyone ask you any of these things. So I feel like at this point it's been long enough where I probably <laughs> won't remember most of them anyways. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, kind of just, you know, when I talked to you last time, you had just wrapped up the the Ice Nine Kills uh, Memphis Mayfire run, and at this point, actually, very fittingly, I have talked to basically two, two or three fourths of that tour already again. I mean, it seems like everyone's kind of still riding the high of that tour. Yeah, I mean, it really. I feel like it really kind of set off everyone's cycle. You know, like it kind of just set fire to everyone's start. You know, I mean, Ice Nine had just had a newer album out. We had a new album out. Memphis had a new album coming out. Um, Sleep Signals was, was promoting something new. You know what I mean? So they, I mean, everyone's kind of been nonstop, and everyone's doing great at radio, and everyone's, you know, having a good time. So even Sleep Signals, as we saw some of those guys the other day, and they've been out steady. They did another tour with um, All the Remains and Attila, and are going out again in the fall and all that stuff. So they're going, going, going. So, it, yeah, it kind of really just, like, sparked a fire in everyone. It seems kind of weird in this day and age that, Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like touring is done in such a way that you kind of have to have the best package tour to draw the most people because there's opportunities are few and far than are between festival opportunities. You know, you want to route accordingly and so forth. With that kind of being said, is it kind of hard at times to ensure that you have the best package? Well, I mean, I feel like you always want us, you know, this day and age is so important. Like you said, it's really hard. It's important, I think, to, to try and just offer the best complete experience that you can. Um, I think we really lucked out on the on the last headline of the, uh, that we did when the album came out. Like I said, because all those bands had new music. Like Octane was literally a promo for our tour for like two months because every band on the tour had new singles that were on Octane. So like you know, three times an hour they'd talk about our tour, and it was. I mean, it all really worked out, and the package is definitely key. We also got really really lucky too with like with Ice Nine Kills. I mean, I feel like 
we got them like right before right before it popped you know and, and it was popping on our tour but it's like I mean, they're 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 reaching new heights as a band. They're really like kind of moving up the ladder a little bit. And Memphis too. I mean, everyone was just so fresh, and people were excited about every band on the tour. That I think it's really important for this. You know, be it a co-headline tour, it's like we want It's not as full. You know what I mean? There's not um, as much like room for a lot of bands. But I mean, us and Motionless and Wilson is a cool package in itself. You know what I mean? I feel like most people don't see us and Motionless on the same bill unless it's a festival. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like it's been it's been awesome as well. Timing's everything, too, you know? Absolutely. And something that was really interesting, and I was kind of talking to Porter about this while we were doing the Photo Odyssey thing, maybe it, it definitely is my age, you know, getting ready to be 35, having grown up with you guys and so forth. I remember seeing the Curse Tour all those years ago, and it felt like this this moment in time where s- something was happening for you, for the scene, for, for a lot. And I remember at the Fort Wayne show that we were at on that tour, looking over to my wife during Ice Nine set, and I was like, this feels exactly like it did when seeing Atreyu on the Curse Tour. Like, this moment in time for this younger generation, like, this is their band, this is that seminal album that's going to carry them, you know, for 10 years plus. You know, having been through that yourself, do you offer any advice to a band like, you know, Ice Nine or even Motionless at this point? You know, I mean, I know they have long established their own careers, but kind of just being the the, the big brother band kind of for them. You just got to take your moment, you know? I feel like um, bands don't get tons of opportunities um we've been very fortunate to get uh freaking armfuls of them over our career from different tours and playing of different genres and opportunities to go to different countries and all these things like this but it's one of those things where you have to recognize when you're when when it's time to fire you know um i think ice nine is one of those bands that they've been hustling for a long time we did warp with them in, in uh 2015 was it 16 i don't know whatever the year we did it a few years back um and it's one of those things where it's like i think they could feel it too so like they're firing on all cylinders and it shows in the live show and everything they're doing is so just like lined up like you just have to recognize those moments and like really take advantage on a smaller scale too i mentioned that band sleep signals like the five of that were just out every day crushing cds selling like hundreds of cds staying afloat on tour from just like making that cheddar, like selling those CDs hand to mouth. And like, dude, they were like, yeah, we went on this next tour and literally saw like people with our shirts and your shirts, like talking to our band stoked to see us again. Like you have to recognize when it's your time to, to really to make your shot, you know, kind of speaking of of, segueing a little bit too, and and making your shot, you know, wanted to talk and focus a little bit more on just your songwriting career as a whole. I think it's pretty widely known at this point. I think you've done a good job of, you know, pushing, you know, Hell or High Water, uh, you have American Gentleman, was that, a, yeah. Sorry, that was me. Nope, that's fine. <laughs> Cinco de Mayo, and we trying to get tacos for our crew, and the whole the whole tour, and uh, the place canceled on us, so we're trying to find new tacos. It seems as though Alex found a new taco place. So, back to the question. Sorry about the bing. No, that's fine. Um, yeah, American Gentleman is the other problem. It seems, though, that what's been kind of interesting is, is each avenue, you know, I think something in talking kind of again about my age that I think is, is kind of a interesting thing to look back on is, you know, growing up in the day and age where there was the beginning of this ancillary content of like making up DVDs and, and YouTube sort of becoming what it would become now. And remembering seeing uh, a death grip on yesterday's uh, DVD and seeing how much material you were showing everybody and, and like the writing stages and so forth. And I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know you were doing, like, writing the lyrics, writing the guitar part, like, bringing in almost fully brought-in songs. And it's been interesting to see the growth of you as a musician between all the various projects. How hard is it, though, to kind of define what what roles each band plays in, in your musical journey? Um, I don't think that I have a hard time, like differentiating the roles you know i think they're also it's also such a different thing that comes from like a different part of the brain i feel like um but with i mean with hell or high water it was just like it's funny i was actually just having kind of a moment the other day um our first album was like out forever and then got taken offline and i didn't even know about it for like two years until like people started writing me and like i don't really can't listen to this anyways label mishaps whatever but i got it back up on the internet i was listening to that album the other day and it kind of like made me kind of get reminiscent of what that record did for me and what that band did for me, you know? And I feel like each each thing that I do is just kind of like, I think, an attempt of me. It's like an audio proof 
of my attempt at just like bettering myself. Um, I feel like if you hear, you know, big jumps in the Atreyu albums, it's us trying to better ourselves. It's it's Hell or High Water is me trying to better myself as a rock writer and, and really expand my songwriting and capabilities there. Like American Gentleman is me pushing myself into like the pop hip hop space. And um, it's just like, I don't know. I feel like each time there's something new and if it's completely different, it's cause like my brain just needed to learn something new and wanted to like just sharpen the knife, I guess, you know, in kind of learning the various skill sets, uh, each genre kind of presents itself. What is something perhaps in either one of them that you've been able to maybe apply for a trade that you've been able to put into American gentleman, something from American gentleman that maybe you've been able to bring back to a trade. I mean, the perfect example of that is the time is now. Okay. Um, with uh, over the past five years, I've gotten very heavily into like sync writing, TV film stuff for like TV promos and commercials and advertisements and you know trailers and all that kind of stuff. And that's really opened a huge door for me in like new ways of writing songs, new kind of methods, new purpose. You know, like and it was kind of like we're making the tray record, and it was like I'd be remiss if I didn't have a sync song, like a knockout sync song on this record. This is like what I've been doing. This has my been my career outside of a trade over the last five years now um and i have a great you know company that i'm a part of and it's like i know if i deliver something they can knock it out of the park for me so we came in one day and it was like okay i have this idea like we need a sync song period uh give me an hour and just i wanted to show you what i'm thinking because i can't tell you what i'm thinking and if you like it we'll continue so i kind of like went in tracked the drums did a quick guitar did the chorus you know like this is my idea i want like a top clock ticking and this and that and dudes were like, yeah, cool, let's go. Let's let's run with it. And that was the thing. As soon as you started even talking to the label, it was like, oh, single, 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 whatever. I'm like, yeah, time is now. Time is now. Time is now. Like, if you don't put some fire behind this song, you're all idiots. Put some fucking go, go, go. <laughs> and it's been insane for us. You know what I mean? It not only did it do well as a radio single and, and is like one of our fastest, highest stream songs we've ever had, but it's been all over hockey, football, yeah. baseball, every freaking sport. We got a list of arenas and stadiums that time is now has been played in stadium and it's like uncomfortable how long the list is like there's nothing you know what i mean so it's like what like that's something i directly pulled from doing american gentleman from doing that other side of writing so it's like it's very much affected the atreyu role too kind of interestingly enough you know things i think are kind of interesting in the fact that you know when you guys first came out and how i would I'm honestly trying to think of a song that would have caught on, on even alternative radio at the time, which I maybe, yeah, maybe it would have been what at least Death Grip that would have. That caught alternative radio? No, actually, I take it back. It probably would have been the follow. Yeah, let's sales that yeah, caught first, on alternative. First alternative radio that caught was becoming the bull, and then more so falling down. Looking at your career as a whole and kind of seeing like how. You know, there wasn't internet radio or, you know, it was more so terrestrial radio and so forth. Is it kind of interesting now to kind of be, you know, I guess, uh, shit, really, you guys have already had a 20-year career. Yeah, this is 20-year anniversary. Fuck. Um, God, that makes me feel old. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, but thinking about that, like, the avenues that weren't open up to you then that are now, is it just kind of crazy to see how, like, the music landscape has cha- changed so drastically? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because some of the stuff was was available back then, but we just didn't understand what it was really yet. I mean, you look at um, our song, Her Portrait in Black. We wrote that uh, in the Death Grip sessions, and then we got approached by that movie, said we want a song for our, for the movie, for the soundtrack, whatever, but it needs to be exclusive, and we'll make you a music video, and we'll go on the DVD and all the stuff. And we're like, cool. We, have, we started writing the song anyways. Alex kind of, like, made the lyrics more towards, more fitting for the movie, and... That did huge things for us at the time, though. Like, we didn't see the money from that. We're on a label. Like, they're getting that master fee, and they're getting, you know what I mean? So we're just like, oh, my God, this is huge publicity, and that did great things for the band. But now it's like, it's that it's, it's hard for rock bands to get into that space, you know, and especially metal, like hard metal, whatever bands are getting into that space. But I mean, it's totally different. Back in the day when we were like, oh, yeah, like, they're playing our song on satellite radio. It was like, oh, cool, they're also playing our song in the woods of Norway. The same, the same <laughs> amount of people are going to hear it. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Like, satellite radio was a joke back then. Now it's literally the, the reigning champ of radio. Like, more people listen to satellite radio than anything else. Like, terrestrial radio is a joke, you know? It's like, it's funny, like, which, how things change, you know? Not a joke. I mean, it's still important. Everyone loves yeah. their stations, but, but it's like the popularity has shifted and, and, you know, everything's digital now. Actually, a comment I've, a comment I've always wondered, um, maybe you can answer this, maybe you have no clue. It's just something I've always noticed. Why does her portrait in black sound completely different than the Death Grip mixes? It was mixed by somebody else. 
Well, yeah, I think it was mixed. Well, maybe it was mixed by the same dude, but it was rushed. It was like, we had to finish it. Sorry, I'm chewing on ice. I'm drinking mojito for everyone that's listening. And I know that's not a single de Mayo drink, but here we are. I mean, you can put tequila in a, in a sure. mojito. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that we finished that song first and, and had to, like, really push it out. It does really sound a lot different. Um, but it was, I think it was, the mix was, was just a different process. You know? Okay. It's just something I've always noticed that, like, comparatively with the rest of it, it's like, it just kind of sounds thin. Yeah, it's a whole different thing. We just had to, like, it was a timing thing. If you notice, too, there's, like, uh, I think it's on, like, Madden or something like yeah. that, Becoming the Bulls on Madden. And the mix for Becoming the Bull um, was, again, like, we had to get it to them quick. So Feldman did the mix on Becoming the Bull for Madden. And it sounds great, but then. Andy Wallace the mix for the record, so it just sounds completely different. Right. I don't know if anyone's ever noticed that, but now you'll go back and listen, and you might notice. It's there are being a video game, especially Madden and, and 2K, like basketball and so forth. I do notice differences in sounds of uh, some of these songs and so forth. Um, you know, something I kind of wanted to know is it seems like obviously uh, Hell or High Water has become, I would say, your Foo Fighters. It yeah. Seems. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, Does, ta- I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I was just talking with uh, Steve Carey from The Color Morale, now uh, Senses Fail. Yeah. Uh, he just built a studio and was talking about how he learned how to start programming stuff himself, like writing guitars and all that and writing songs so he doesn't have to wait for everybody. And uh, he was like, I know drummers don't do that. And I go, well, look at Brandon. Like, Brandon, and he goes, I know that motherfucker can do everything perfectly. Uh, so it was <laughs> funny. We were just nice. literally talking about you yesterday about how, like, multi-instrumental and multifaceted you are uh, all across the board. But, you know, that kind of being said, Hell or High Water is really interesting to me because it, it seemed like initially with Black Cloud Collective as it started that it kind of didn't deviate too far. Like, I could kind of almost see, like, the line being like, well, it wasn't quite a trait you enough, so here's this other thing of what it could be. Uh-huh. But I feel like you have since renaming it and having Joey on and stuff like that. I feel like on the last record, it's definitely more definitively its own thing. It's its own thing. I think I think Begin Again, too. I mean, it was obviously its own thing, too. But how that whole thing started was, I mean, I did, I started the Black Cloud Collective. It was my solo project. You right. know what I'm saying? And, uh, and then I got this band, and we went on one tour. And I remember sitting on the back of the bus, and everyone was in, in the venue. And I'm sitting on the back of the bus, and I'm just kind of like, in like La La Land, I'm like my, I was just like in the back, just like smiling at nothing. And my wife's like, "What are you? What are you doing? Like, you're like you're on drugs." And uh, and she was tour managing us at the time, and I'm like, I'm so happy right now. I'm like, I I, uh, I can't understand like what's happening. Like this band is so good. Like I, I don't think that they can be like hired guns. I don't think that they can just be like a thing that I have at my disposal. I think they need to be my band. Like I need to make them my band. And she's like, okay, like that wasn't really what your vision was, and you were just gonna kind of do your own thing or whatever. And and I'm like, but do you understand what this is? And she was kind of like, I I see it, I feel it, it makes sense. Like, do what you gotta do. And it was like literally that day, it was like, do you just want to be my band? Like, I don't want to. This is like, do you want to be part of this? Like, really part of this? And everyone was on board, so it was like, cool, we need to change our name because that was me, and I don't want that to be me, and whatever. Right. So yeah, it worked out. But Hell or High Water is an interesting thing. I just literally had these conversations with like multiple band members the other day, where like that band was such a strange powerful thing for everyone in our band how hard was it to become a frontman in the truest sense of the form i feel like i just fucking went out there and didn't think about it you know you didn't have that weird nervous thing of like what do i, do I with didn't my hands? i didn't like look in the mirror and like do, do the whole like what am i going to do on stage who am i going to be on stage you know i was just like all i can do is be me so go out there and just do what you would do and um i think at times it was a bit chaotic and ridiculous but it, but it was fun you know what uh are you surprised to see the success Joey has had individually at this point? Not at all. It I think that, I think he's I think he's such a talented dude, and um, like I said, it's hell or high water in one way or another led everyone in it to insane things. Uh, it taught me to be a better writer. Taught me to be a leader. Taught me to be patient. It taught me to do all these things that that I couldn't have done the things that I've done with the Treyu in the last five years if I didn't have that band I met Joey Joey was in a band with me we learned so much shit together then through Joey Joey met our manager who always also manages the used he knew Joey through hell or high water got the gig to play in the used that led him there our other guitar player Matt Pauling was like he's a he's literally an absolute genius he was in our band. He quit our band because he wanted to pursue production. Um, F- John Feldman texted me one day, you know any engineers? I'm looking for an engineer. I said, yes, I do. 
This dude's an engineer. Our manager also vouched for him. He got a job with John Thelbin for like five years, worked on Blink, Five Seconds of Summer, all these Black Veil Brides, all these massive records. Now he's off on his own. He's like, he's working on Five Seconds of Summer stuff. He works, he did, um, uh, what's that record? Uh, what's the band called? Oh, it's so bad. They were like makeup and look real like, kind of like super flashy. Their song's called I'll Be Fine or You'll Be Fine right now. I can't remember the name. Anyways, another big band. Did their record. I'm an idiot for not remembering the name. You, you, you'll have a blip on the thing that'll be like the band's called this right. uh, but yeah like everyone had these crazy roads you know from that so but Joey never surprised me Joey's an absolute freaking guru is there plans eventually probably when time permits it to, to do a follow up record yeah I think so I don't know to what extent but I know that we all kind of have like a soft spot and like a hole where that band lives so um, we'll have to fill it at some point I don't know if it'll be like full on, do a record, go tour, do the whole thing, but we'll, we'll definitely make more music for sure. Kind of speaking to American Gentleman again, how did this project start? Uh, this was a, another sync thing. Um, me and my friend, um, his name's Chris, Christopher Umana, he goes by C4, um, genius producer um, in kind of the hip hop R&B space, um, has like Big Sean tracks and like real, like real deal credits, you know? And I met him through a, a common friend, another guy that I, that introduced me really to sync, uh, dude Dave Litchens. Um, and we met at a party, his birthday party, and was like, "You all should write." Whatever, we clicked, and it was like the first couple of days we wrote, it was just like, "This is good." So we just kept going. Decided to throw a name on it. We were kind of like, you know, we make all this music, but no one's gonna hear it. Like that's, we should just start releasing it. You know, might as well. So that started American Gentleman. Played like a couple shows and. It's mostly just, you know, a writing project, but it's one of those things that we've always been like, do we like, <laughs> do we try to play shows? Do we like try to get on some cool thing, like festivals or something and whatever? So for, for now, it's just the music, but it definitely could lead to something more. Well, as I say, that's the interesting thing about like you look at someone like the Neptunes. Yeah. The Neptunes basically started off as just a, a project to, yeah. to create beats and so forth and then became NERD. Exactly. And then so forth. So I, I always kind of saw the parallel between that project to what NERD slash Neptunes was For doing. For sure. Well, it's the same thing too where it's like we almost want to – we want to move into that space a little more. That's kind of almost like a production duo as well. But it's like you know, we've been kind of staying in the sync space and just doing our thing and releasing music and whatever. But – you know, it is funny where it's like it could be a very much like a run the jewels situation or like right. that kind of vibe on stage. Maybe some live instruments or like like almost like maybe a gorillas type thing. That's, you know, who knows? Like you never know where it could go, but um, definitely something in the back of our minds we always think about. With all of the various endeavors that you have, has there been a musical styling or something creatively you haven't done yet that you would like to? Not yet. Not yet. Uh, I, I try to write country songs like five six years ago and i just don't it's just not i mean you kind of had one on on let's sail sort of ish it ish. was like a rock <laughs> song with slide with pedal steel you know and i even tried to, on, on begin again there's a song called rocky water's edge it's like my attempt at like a alt country song but <laughs> I, I mean just, if, like, uh, that little nas x song could be a country song then yeah I exactly <laughs> I, I don't think that that's i hate that shit there's so much stuff that's going on right now that i just can't get behind. You don't but, like you don't like the the fact that some of these things can can kind of blur the lot. No pun intended. Uh, but blur the lines of some of these genres and boundaries. I don't care about that. I just like that song is just silly to me. That song is just silly to me, and I'm not one to. You I mean everyone may, be creative, do your thing. You know, everyone has the right to do whatever they want to do. Some stuff I just can't understand. Country music, I can't wrap my head around it. It's not it's not authentically me. So, but other than that, there's no genres really that I haven't like tried to touch. I mean, I've wanted to, to touch more into like the hip hop space with my like on my own thing. Mm -hmm. But then again, it's just like, but I don't want to do it unless I fully like dive in, go head first, and like really become a good rapper. <laughs> so something I had kind of talked with uh, actually a former guest vocalist on one of your albums, uh, Josh Todd from Buckcherry. Yeah, really is kind of trying to get into that headspace too of the hip hop scene and so forth. Who is someone that you would love to collaborate with? And in this day and age now, where I feel like you know they're like like we were just talking about Little Nas X, you know, and, and uh, Billy Ray Cyrus working together, and yeah. you're seeing a lot of these interesting collaborations. That for just because we don't have another example of this that's more relevant, more current, I should yeah. say. But like the DM DMC Aerosmith thing, like where yeah. you're kind of getting two big names and putting yeah. them together and crossing over. 
have you guys thought about trying to do some of these like you know Hyrule Heroes is a great one he just had, did a bunch of remixes for songs and yeah. had people do it is that something that you would like to do and if so who's someone that you would like to collaborate with maybe in that that vein that you I mean 100% yes I love I love the the genre bent I love that like why why is he on that song Hyrule is someone that's great because he mixes that he mixes them both and you watch Hyrule he's like he's a dope rapper but his shows are like an underground hardcore show yeah it's so punk rock but um uh, I think there's, I mean a handful of people. Uh, Machine Gun Kelly's a big one. I'd love to do some music with Machine Gun Kelly. Anderson Pack would be dope. Um, I mean, there's obvious like huge ones. There's like Kendrick and stuff like that. But it's like I, I love that shit. I, I think that that kind of blend is awesome. And especially like we've I mean, we've already talked to like about a month ago before we left. I did a show like I went and played in a trade song with this uh, EDM group called Adventure Club. And like they like did lip gloss in their set, and I played drums with it, whatever. Like we've talked about doing some stuff together, and just like I, I, I liked, I think it's I think it's fun. Creativity is creativity, no matter where it goes. Kind of in, in wrapping up slowly. Um, we just talked the, about the fact that Atreyu now is twenty. Next year we'll be able to buy alcohol. <laughs> um, unless you go to Canada, you can buy it now. Exactly, which we're going tomorrow. So I, yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> so I'm looking at all that. <laughs> Obviously, when you start the band, you, you probably. Your, your aspirations are let's tour regionally or, you know, your, your goals are very nearsighted. Yeah, kind of. What does, looking back now at a 20-year career, what does that look like and what does the band mean to you now that maybe it didn't at that point? It's it's bananas. It's absolutely crazy. Um, I don't think we ever had small dreams. I don't think it was ever like, let's play some shows. If we can play Vegas, that'd be cool. Like, you're stoked to do it, but you want more. And we've always been that band that has consistently just wanted more, bigger, better. And I think that that hasn't, that concept hasn't died out for us, which um, I think has literally been like one of the keys to our longevity. That and taking like a four year break. <laughs> but uh, I think that like we're the same. We're the same like hungry kids that we were when we started. We're just in our 30s now. Um, but I mean, that's, I think, I don't know, it's, it's an insane concept. Like, we we're 20 years in and like we're getting offers and like to play in places that we've never even thought of and we're like well 20 years in we're getting this stuff like this is now happening to us 20 years later you know it's a, it's a, it's interesting insane concept how long do you see this band being able to go for i don't think it really has an expiration obviously i don't think we'll be like 60 like aerosmithing it like headbanging and playing bleeding mascara <laughs> yeah dude if if vegas wanted to give us a residency for a tray we would take it right now i would take it Tomorrow, I would collect all that cheddar, and I would sit in a fucking suite. I would chill in a suite in the Bellagio or wherever and at the Palms, and I would just love life. And everyone in our crew would happily come with. No, yeah, that, that's the dream. It's funny because it's funny. Like all these kind of legacy bands, which is funny because at this point in the game with certain age demographics, we're considered a legacy band. But, you are. Uh, like, with the, like, you know, the – Aerosmiths and the Motley Crews and all that stuff. It's like, you could snap those fucking casino shows or those le those residencies. Like, that's the money. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, just, I feel like there's no... I don't think we're going to be 60 years old, like, headbanging, like, ripping solos to Bleeding Mascara because I just think it's... I don't know if we'll, we'll be able to, to do it still, but I don't see an end, you know? I, I, I feel like we'll make 10 more records. And Last question. I know it's a very open-ended question. Yeah. Something we've talked about quite a bit on this podcast recently is, is kind of EPs versus full lengths and, and the shelf life of a record in this day and age now where everything's so, you know, need it now, I already forgot about it. Are, are you guys already working on follow-up material? Do you still feel like, I mean, I still feel like the record, I mean, you just put out uh, your second single, I think, basically, yeah. off of this record, so it still feels like this album has plenty of life still left in it. Yeah, I think the record still has, definitely has legs. I think time has now really treated us well with lasting um, so we still have, you know, we just put out the second single that just went to radio. That's going to have some time there. Um, there's plenty of touring left to do, but as far, I mean, if, in my, if I had my way, we would never put out a full length album again. We would we put out, you know, singles, six, seven, eight songs at the absolute most. And it would be more frequently. Cause I think, I forget what band. Oh, I think it's Emery actually. Emery. Like, I mean, I know they hold all their 
cards in their own hand. They own all their ma most of their masters and all that kind of stuff. So like they're basically able to do whatever they want, how they want to do it. But it was interesting to see that they're kind of going what Protest the Hero was doing about a year or two ago, where they're like, we're just going to go right to the fans and we're going to give you something. And if you want to support us, here's the way to do it. Yeah. And I understand, like, being on a label, that's not quite the structure and how you can do things. No, but, no, no, no. no. <laughs> but it's just, you know, everything's changing. So it's, you know, wondering if you guys are dealing with that on a label perspective where they're like, hey, you know, like, maybe we get a, an EP kind of to tie people over soon. Our, our label's awesome. They're very open to ideas, and they're very open to kind of attempting the, the non-conventional. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't always push through, but they're open to it. So I think that we definitely want to kind of change some things and just, I guess, for lack of a better word, do things in a little bit more of a current way. Um, the reality is, is if the populace is digesting music in a certain way, and that's the most efficient way that they're doing it, Everyone should do it that way. It's not. It's not a that big of a shift. It's just go with like, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. if you have a breakfast restaurant and your most famous thing is pancakes, you better have plenty of pancakes. Right. Like, just give them the damn pancakes. <laughs> like, just if people want short doses and need more, like smaller shit more often, just yeah. give it to them. They're gonna get the same amount of music. You know what I mean? If if you're gonna get a twelve song album and you're gonna digest four songs. And then you're going to forget it, and that's going to last you six months. But the band's still going to wait another year or longer to make a record. Like, why don't we just give you five songs every six months? And you'll fully digest them, and the streams will be more, and the sales will be more. And, and then six months later, you put out a fucking other one. Right. You know, you, you can still, you know, do the studio the same way. You can go and record 20 songs, and there's your next three years. Right. You know? But uh, I don't know. I, I think that you need to adapt to the... the the monetary shift you need to adapt to how people are digesting music or else like i said you have this heart and soul you poured into like a 12 song album and and you know 40 percent of it gets paid attention to and the rest is like i don't remember that part it's just weird to see the multifacetedness of the various bands you're in and the way that they all kind of work with two of the three being on labels and kind of having a more structured like here's the release here's the singles blah 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 here's yeah. the promo plan to then American Gentleman which seems like just when oh, it's, it's done and it like, makes sense we drop I it I get a wild hair at my ass and I'm like hey let's do it. hey C4 you want to release the EP next week he's like yeah, yeah. I'm like, like here's the like, album art I mean I'm, I'm literally releasing a solo single next week okay. like because I just felt like it Know what I mean? And see, I feel like you're in that unique position where you can kind of speak to either side of this, like where you're like, I'm kind of the independent artist, kind of getting yeah. to ride what's currently happening, but I'm also still a part of this major label system that has to do things a certain way. Of course. So, yeah. I mean, I definitely ride both and each serve a, a great purpose for each other, you know? I mean, doing radio and publicity and, and distribution, all those things ourselves would be very possible, but we have to come up with a lot of money ourselves up front and it would take a lot of manpower and a lot of people involved and it's like for us right now the better option is just focus be a band focus on being a band writing great music and let the label do what they're supposed to do luckily we're with a label that actually does what they're supposed to do so and lastly where can everyone find you and or any of the bands that you would like to plug everything is i would say instagram the brand Saller for me on instagram also on Spotify, you can just look up Brandon Saller, or you can look up American Gentleman, or you can look up Heller High Water, or you can look up Bad Brother, or you can look up Atreyu. Uh, but if you follow me on Instagram, the Brandon Saller, you will find all things that I'm doing at all times, which sometimes it's way too many things, but they will all be there. My absolute last question, because I forgot to ask you this the last time, and I remember saying this to a supporter and to Joey. Um, do you do any Sammy Hagar covers at all? Uh, no why should i yes after <laughs> hearing i want it all i was like jesus christ like i think you could probably do i some, do like, go pretty hagar on like, that song i can't drive 65 55 55 yeah. well, i was even thinking like you could maybe do like paper money or like like yeah. old sammy stuff i'll fuck with it i could fuck with it yeah that that song is pretty hagar i didn't try to it just happened i, I just remember hearing that and i was like god damn this boy got some pipes <laughs> on him thank you i appreciate it yeah well thank you for your time and uh, looking forward to the show tonight oh yeah awesome so that was my Cinco de Mayo conversation with Brandon Saller of Atreyu. Uh, had a lot of fun with that, like I said in the intro, kind of going over the band's legacy at that point. And, you know, it's been kind of weird. Like, ever since this this interview happened, I've been talking to a couple other band people. And, you know, like, on Jostice podcast recently, he had Doc Coyle on. And they were talking about how Atreyu has endured probably more 
success now since they came back than they did even at the height of their popularity back in the day. And it's been kind of interesting to see a lot of other band musicians and people and, and people in the industry, you know, speak so highly of them when it seems like a lot of people have kind of, I don't want to say shamed a lot of bands, but, you know, they put them in thrice in the same category. It's like, you know, sometimes bands go away and they come back better than they were. And sometimes it's just that they needed to recharge their batteries and figure out who they are now versus trying to capture who they were and trying to keep appeasing those fans at that point. Yeah, and that's that's really hard to do. And most bands fail at it anyway, you know, as far as, like, trying to appease people. I mean, Under Oath pretty much kind of did the same thing with, with more mixed results, I think. But uh, but I totally understood the sentiment behind what they were doing. But, yeah, with Atreyu, it definitely is one of those they're, – they're just one of those bands where they're, they're kind of finally cashing the check, you know – all these all these years later in that you know they weren't they they were popular you know before but whenever they went away and came back in, in a very real way because a lot of bands whenever they come back they're still kind of in fizzle out phase have you noticed that like that a band will come back but like they'll be working at an output that's like significantly slower than what it was before whereas Atreyu is kind of one of the first band or not first bands but one of the only bands that uh that kind of came back full bore. I think there's a difference though. Cause like one of the first bands I'm thinking of when you say something like that is I'm thinking of bleeding through right out the gate. Oh yeah. 100%. Bleeding, but bleeding through when they decided that they were going to come back, you know, I think five years after they, their last record and two or three after their last show, I think, you know, they very much, and Brandon even kind of, I think said it in our interview, Brandon Chappetti, this vocalist of bleeding through had kind of made the comment that it's like, we just got burned out. Like we were in a constant cycle of tour, make an album, tour, make an album, tour, make an album, tour, and make an album. And at some point you just need to like, it's almost like for the, just the sanity of like everybody, you just kind of need to be like, okay, this is done. And like, I think that's the only way maybe at times that a label will understand like, oh, okay. Like we can't keep milking this thing that it's like, okay, we're done. We're literally, we exist no more. Don't book us. We quit. Yeah. yeah. And it's like it kind of sucks that it has to come to that that uh, to I think have that desired outcome of just getting some time away and being able to recharge. So when you come back to the thing, you're more excited. But I mean, almost every band that's done that though, I mean, look at I mean, Bleeding Through is a great example. That last record, like the record they put out before this most recent one, I fucking hated that record. It sounded tired. It it just sounded like a band going through the motions. However, the newest record sounds phenomenal and sounds like a band that was hungry, that wanted to get into a studio, that wanted to write fucking banger songs, and the whole album is great. Atreyu has put out two very interesting records since they came back, one that went more, you know, back to the aggressive sound that everyone wanted, and then they did something kind of in the middle of, of everything and kind of is in a more adult, grown-up version of Atreyu that I think they tried doing on, you know, Congregation of the Damned, but just didn't land I think a lot of people were, you know, basically expecting a follow-up to The Curse or they wanted, you know, another a Death Grip on Yesterday. Or even there were a lot of fans that came on during Let's Sail in a Paper Anchor. And, like, those are three completely different albums. And unless you were a fan that started all the way back at the beginning and kind of followed the band throughout, you know, and you're able to see that, you know, the growth of the band at that point, I think it is kind of hard. If you, if you were a fan of, like, you know, Death Grip, and you went backwards, you might be like, oh, this is this is too heavy, or I'm not really into the screaming as much. But then if you came in on Congregation, you might kind of look at it and go like, well, I don't like, you know, the it went too poppy over here or whatever. It's like, not heavy. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's like, I, I feel like it was just, those, those were kind of, it's a very divisive era of the band. And I think it's interesting now, like you look at the Spotify numbers and everything, and some of their best songs, uh, streaming-wise and so forth, are the new stuff. And I think that's a really great indicator that a lot of people like the new stuff in conjunction with everything that's come before it. Although a lot of people don't say anything about Congregation of the Damned at all. So, <laughs> Yeah, not really. <laughs> it's under the rug somewhere. Yeah. But no, this was, a, this was a lot of fun, I think, for a lot of longtime fans. You know, something that we highlighted in the, the previous chat Dan and I did was we wanted to highlight Brandon's overall songwriting career. Um, because it's very interesting and, and diverse and no, like there are things that kind of sound similar. And that was the thing I enjoyed talking to him about was like, okay, like you did this, the sync project in an American gentleman or even hell or high water, which has more viability in the streaming and syncs uh, aspect. 
what do you take from that and bring to a tree you? And then it's like when, you know, he's like, oh, the time is now. Like, I knew that that's the perfect sync. That's the single. Like, I have experience now working in that kind of a realm to know, like, this is the song we push first. This is how we get this thing off the ground. And obviously it's working because that was a monster for a single and so forth. So it's one of those that it's interesting to talk to someone that's kind of versed in the industry in a few different realms and how it applies to the projects that he's doing. And, you know, I don't think we've really talked a whole lot about sync opportunities and so forth on this podcast, but it is something that's really interesting to, to hear people be rather upfront and honest, like, cause there's other musicians that do this, that have projects where it's like, Oh, what's the point of this? And it's like, Oh, basically this is just to get on commercials and get paid. <laughs> right. Exactly. It, it, yeah. It's, uh, I, I definitely remember going over that in the interview and it, and it just being kind of this honest, like, yeah, this is how we do it. If you would like to follow Atreyu on everything, go to Facebook at Atreyu, Instagram at Atreyu Official, as well as Twitter at Atreyu Official. If you would like to keep up with Hell or High Water, you can find them on Facebook at Hell or High Water Official. Same on Instagram and Twitter is just simply Hell or High Water. If you would like to keep up with Brandon, you can find him at the Brandon Saller on Instagram and Brandon Kyle Saller on Twitter. And if you would like to keep up with American Gentlemen, you can find them on Facebook at American Gents and Instagram at We Are American Gentlemen. And if you would like to keep up with Metal Nexus, you can go to MetalNexus.net. Facebook at Metal Nexus, Instagram at Metal.Nexus, or Twitter at Metal underscore Nexus. And Dan will tell you all about where he can be found. Well, I can be found on Twitter at DiscussMetalDan. I can be found on Gmail uh, at DiscussMetalDan at gmail.com. <laughs> I can be found on Facebook under Daniel Terry. And as always, you can find my other podcast, Discography Discussion, at DiscussMetal.com. And if you would like to keep up with all things this podcast, you can find us simply enough at Brew Speak Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check us out on YouTube over at Brew Speak Pod. You can see the videos where they are applicable. Uh, we couldn't shoot one of this one because it was too dark in the dressing room we were at, so just the sweet, sweet sounds of Brandon's voice. And if you would like to check us out and support our podcast monetarily, you can head over to patreon.com, Pod. we got a lot of lovely perks over there. Let us know what you would like to see us talk about, maybe some other tiers that you would like to do, maybe Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, if you're into no more tiers, uh, just let us know. And uh, for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John. And I am Dan. And we will talk to you all next time.